trust is not based on what, but who. A few years ago, I was uh, given a selected to go on one of the, the greatest experiences of my life. Like for real, I was selected to go to an all expenses paid for, pastors only trip to the Holy Land, to Israel. Yeah, we got one person back there that shouted. Okay. It was so awesome. I, I was so excited. Like, man, now that I just have been to Israel, man, the word of God just comes alive. There's so much context there. And uh, one thing you need to know that as I was selected to go, bless you, that was a loud sneeze. <laughs> as I was selected to go uh, on this trip, uh, I was actually the youngest pastor on this trip. A group of like 40 pastors, I was the youngest one. When I say youngest, I mean the average age that uh, was there was probably about 20 to 30 years older than me. And so I was the young one. So I was already deemed the overzealous, passionate one. I was just that guy. If you know me, take it to even the extreme. Like I'm just like, oh my gosh, we're in Israel. You know, I was just that guy. And it became more evident that I was the young, overzealous one when we went on a boat trip on the Sea of Galilee. Trust is not based on what, but who. Again, we go on this boat and we're like going to go on the Sea of Galilee. And it was an incredible experience to experience what Jesus and the disciples once did thousands of years ago. I mean, this was super cool. Now, when we're on this trip on the boat, we're taking photos, videos, everything, and uh, all the pastors are coming up with illustrations right there. And to our right, we start to see this dark cloud coming toward us. And when I say dark, I mean it was like it was like pitch black on that side, and it started coming toward us. This is just massive, big clouds. And if you know anything about the Sea of Galilee, they are—it's known for sudden storms to show up. And so the, the clouds are coming and the wind starts picking up. It starts blowing. And, and when, the, when the wind picks up on the sea, the water gets a little choppy. And it starts moving back and forth. And soon the waves are like, like you're trying to hold on. And I might be from Hawaii, but I get seasick, y'all. Like for real. I really do. And so I'm like, oh, Jesus, help me on this one. And so the, the waves are picking up. It's crashing on the boat. And then the cloud is right above us. It's, it starts like just trickling down some rain. And then all of a sudden, downpour. It's like, it's drenched. Like we're drenched. Water is coming down. And now all, all the other pastors, older than me, they responded differently than I did. All those pastors, like we had some like men of God that just started praying. They were just like, Lord, we command this, the, the storm. You know, they were just, I was like, wow. Man, I need to know Jesus like they know, you know. And, and, and then some of them started getting umbrellas and huddling up. Um, there was like a little tin roof on the boat. So they were like huddled up trying to, because the waves were just crashing on us. Some people got their jackets, put it over their heads. Not your boy. Your boy knows this story in the Bible. Like we can see all the historical sites, but you can't plan this. So I was actually on the front of the boat getting rained down like, this is awesome. There, I, like I had to stop and video just some of just what was happening here. Watch this video clip. Guys, this is an experience of a lifetime. We are on a boat on 
on the Sea of Galilee, and it starts storming out of nowhere. Oh, the waves are crashing. The rain is coming down. It is crazy. This is exactly what the disciples experienced. And uh, man, this is so awesome. I'm so excited. and everybody's concerned. Trust is not based on what, but who. Today, as we start our new series, Promises of God, we're going to talk about different promises that, that is written in God's word. The one thing I want to do before we talk about different promises is to help us understand one simple truth, and it's this, ready? Jesus is worthy of our trust. Jesus is worthy of our trust. Why do I say that? Because as we talk about promises of God, I realize that many of us, the word trust that is not something that we are comfortable with. Why? Because many of us have either experienced someone breaking trust or you have experienced broken promises. Like, we grew up as kids, if you remember, the word promise was never enough for us as kids. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When someone would say, yo, I promise, and you're like, are you sure? And you would say, yeah, I pinky promise. We had to make up like, the promise is not enough. If you link pinkies, that's how you know you're for real, right? Just because a promise was not enough. But, I mean, we see that in our culture. Like, I don't, I'm not going to go there, but it don't matter which side you vote for in politics. Many of us have experienced politicians giving us empty promises. Like, I don't know, like, if you've experienced, like, someone just breaking promises. I know there's people that have had people, uh, friends in their life that say, hey, yo, I got you. you, you're, you I'm ride or die with you. I promise I got your back no matter what. Then this stuff gets real and there is conflict that happens. That friend that had your back, who promised to get your back, all of a sudden disappears quicker than you can find them. I understand that, that many of us possibly even had a promise spoken to you by a family member that has been broken. And so you're like, how can I trust in a promise? Can I get even more real? Can I get more real with 1045 service? You sure? Here's the truth. Marriage is a holy covenant, a vow, a promise to love each other no matter what, right? Through sickness and health, death do its part. But unfortunately, statistics have shown not just outside the church, but inside the church that promises are being broken. Promises keep getting broken. And even sometimes, it might not have been someone that broke a promise to you. You might have promised your own self and you couldn't keep a promise to your own self. Or you promised this is the year, this is the day, this is where I change. And you can't even hold your own promise to yourself. So when we talk about promises of God, it's really difficult to trust in a promise. But today, as we, again, look at the series Promises of God, I don't think that we need to convince ourselves 
of the promises spoken in God's word, what we really need to convince ourselves is if God is worthy enough to trust in the promise. Trust is not based on what, but who. And the who determines whether it's a promise or a hope. The who is that makes the promise. It's, it's either, oh, yeah, they, they, they're a man or person of their word. Or I hope they keep their word. I hope so. So before we look at the promises of God, may we look at the promiser. And so t- today, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew is in the New Testament. And it's the gospel account of Jesus' life through the eyes of Matthew. Now, what I love about Matthew personally, Matthew usually writes through the perspective of the outcast. Like if you read through Matthew, he, he picks the outcast, someone that, that normally won't get attention. He writes through their perspective. And in Matthew chapter 14, what's leading to what we're about to go through, we had the feeding of the 5,000. Like one of the greatest miracles ever. You agree? He multiplied food. Come on, somebody. Right? Just imagine that. Just one taco. Now 5,000 tacos. Like just praise God. We would go crazy right now. And so right after this miracle of feeding the 5,000, Jesus said, like he says immediately. So that they don't get boastful. But immediately they, he says he sent his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and said, hey, go and I'm going to go pray. Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 24, it says this. It says, but the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Let me stop right there. So here we have the disciples. Just went through, just just saw one of the coolest miracles. Jesus sends them out into a boat on the Sea of Galilee, and then all of a sudden, This storm comes. Let me clarify something to you today. Oftentimes, the biggest storms in your life come right after the biggest God moments. Oftentimes, the biggest storms in your life come right after a God moment, a spiritual high. Why do I think this happens? Well, first... The enemy, he's actually not that smart. If you just know his playbook, he's not that smart. This is his tactic. Ready? You just had a really God, big God moment. Now he's like, let me distract them for what they just experienced. That's why when Ralph talked about the stones and remembering, that's why it's important to remember. Because the enemy doesn't want us to remember what God did in our life. So that's one of the, I mean, that's the reason why I think we have a big storm after a God moment is because the enemy is trying to distract us. But here's the second reason. I'll just flat out. Here's the second reason. It's that usually after a big God moment, we tend to let our guard down. Right after a God moment, we're not as protecting of our spiritual walk around us. And so the enemy's like, oh, they're vulnerable. Let me attack. Verse 25, it says this, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I'm going to stop right there. Because listen, I know some of y'all grew up in church. You know the story, Jesus walking on water. So this was like, what's a big deal? Right? Just what's the big deal? Let me just 
back up. Jesus is walking on water, y'all. Like, I don't know about y'all, but when was the last time y'all seen somebody walk on water? Exactly, right? So this is, this is super cool. This isn't a movie. This is not CGI. This is not someone faking it on TikTok, like, look at me, right? Jesus is performing an actual miracle right here. And then in verse 26, it says this, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. Ooh, right? And they cried out for fear. Now, I thought it was interesting that they're on a boat, storm is coming, winds uh, blowing, wind, uh, waves are crashing. It almost looks like they're probably panicking, like they might die. But the thing that they cry out for is when they see a ghost walking out uh, towards them, right? And so they're, they're crying out for out of fear. And then this is what happens. Check this. I love verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, I'm going to break this scripture down. Because I never noticed this until I really started studying it. But in order for you to really catch this. Let's put ourselves in the disciples' shoes, right? You just had a really big God moment. Awesome. Maybe like baptism, something. Easter last week. Big God moment. Now a storm comes in your life. Now you're on this boat. You're rocking back and forth. The waves are crashing. The wind is blowing. Rain is coming down. You're a little terrified for your life. And you see this ghost walking at you. Boo. Right? Just, and he's walking at you. And you're terrified. But don't worry. This ghost that you're terrified of says, be of good cheer. Some of y'all are not real like I am. If it was me, I'm not going to believe a ghost telling me, hey, just be happy, dog. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to be like, oh, okay, I was terrified and you're coming at me. Oh, I'll just smile. <laughs> you know, that's not what I would naturally do. But Jesus says this. I don't know if you caught it. He says, it is I. Listen, I'm about to, I, this, is so, this is so good for somebody here. Jesus didn't calm the storm. He reassured the disciples who was with them in the storm. Oh, some of y'all didn't catch it. Because Jesus could have easily stopped the storm. We see that later. He could have just been like, oh, they're scared? So, storm, stop. But he didn't calm the storm. He said, it is I. First thing you need to understand when it comes to God's provision, that, that sometimes his provision, or actually most of the time his provision, looks differently than what we expect. You might expect it one way, but he's like, no. I'm, I, my Scripture says, my ways are higher than your ways. And so it looks different. But check this truth out right here. Check this truth. He said, it is I. Why? Because I believe if Jesus would have calmed the storm in the moment, then the disciples would have, would have really trusted in Jesus' abilities, not his character. Listen, listen, ready? Church, 1045. Jesus might not calm your storm so that you depend on his character and not just what he can do for you. Jesus might not calm your storm. He might not. So that you look to him and not just what he can do. 
This is what happens in verse 28. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church, but for so long I read this scripture, and I actually used to think that it was Jesus' idea for Peter to come out the water. Uh-uh. It was Peter's idea. So when you when we were like, whoa, he fell. No, nah, it was his idea, dog. <laughs> like just, but it was his idea. Why? Because he had so much focus on the promiser, not the promise. He was so fixated on Jesus. And he says this, or he says, if it is you, notice he didn't say this. Lord, if I am able, Lord, if you are willing, command me. He doesn't say that. Peter's not looking to Jesus' abilities. He's looking at his character. He says, if it is you, trust is not based on what, but who. Jesus is worthy to be trusted. He is. He is. The problem is you have to know the promiser to trust in his promise. See, when you know the promiser, it validates the promise. When you know him, then you can trust in what he said in his word. I fear too many people just cling on to the promise and not look and fixate their eyes on Christ. Like, God, what can you do for me? I'm in a situation, what can you do for me? Verse 29. So Jesus said to him, come. I love that he wasn't, nah, dog, this ain't for you. <laughs> he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Now, I'll just be for real with y'all. If that was me, and I was like, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out. And I stepped out that boat, and I'm now walking on water. I'm like, oh, dog, this is dope. Like, you know, I'd just be so excited. But notice Jesus didn't say, hey, no, you can't do it. He said, Come. Why? Jesus saw the faith in Peter to be able to obey. Jesus saw the faith of Peter to be able to obey. Understand that God's promise of provision comes to those who obey. God's promise of provision comes to those who obey. See, I think we live in a culture that we wait to obey. We want his provision before our obedience. We are like, we're in a culture of, hey, fix this, God, do this, and then we will obey. I know. I see it all the time. I know it's like, I don't know if I can go there, but it's like, God, Fix my finances and then I'll tithe. Too strong? Too strong? <laughs> God, fix my situation and then I'll worship. What I, what I love about worship, I'm, this is a side note. One day we'll be with, with Jesus in heaven. There will be no pain, no suffering. And so guess what? This is the only opportunity on this earth that we can worship him through the storm. 
A lot of us want to wait till he does something for us and then we'll worship. Oh, oh God, what? you know what? Give me more time in my life because my schedule is so busy, busy, busy. Hey, if you give me more time, then I'll serve. Then I'll make disciples. God, heal this friendship and relationship. And once we're on good terms, then I'll witness. Oh, gosh. Whew. That's not how faith works. That's not how faith works. Faith is not waiting for the provision before the obedience. I know this. This is, this is how God's provision works. Ready? Anytime we talk about provision, we always look to the scripture in Matthew chapter 6. Where, where Jesus is talking about, he said, hey, the birds of the air, they know it neither sow or reap, but I still feed them. How much more do I, I care about you? And we cling to that promise. But if you read a few scriptures down, same chapter, it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all will be added to you. He doesn't say, all will be added to you, then seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. No, no, no. He said priority is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then all will be added to you. That's how provision works. Obedience comes before provision. Obedience comes before provision. It says this in verse 30. Now this is Peter. It says, but when he, Peter, saw that the wind was boisterous, that's a great word to use this week. You know, if you just have a time to say boisterous this week, praise God. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to seek, he, uh, sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. Understand it says when he saw. Usually, usually our trust is dictated by what we focus on. Usually your trust is dictated by what you look at. So real simple, when you're in a storm, what do you look at? When you're in a storm, who do you look at? Now, I know everybody knows the, the church answer, but let's get real. When you're in a storm, is your first response to go talk to a friend? And say, hey, I'm going through this. Will you pray for me? Can we talk about it? Is it to go to a spouse or a family member? Hey, I'm going through this. Can you, can you, can we, can you comfort me? Can, is your first response, can I go to, uh, go to a small group, a small group leader, can you help me through it? All those people aren't bad. It's not wrong to go to them. But if they're first, then it is. Now, some of us will cling to a person in a storm. Some of us. I don't know if I should go here. Some of us will cling to a thing or something when we're in a storm to comfort us. Some of us like, ah, oh, going through a storm, let me hold on to my possessions and my money because it secures me. You guys said you wanted me to go here. Some of us, we hang on to a hobby. You know, let me just get away. From my store. Let me just go do my hobby. And if I can just get my mind off of it. Let me, let me just watch some TV and just, can I, I just need to, or, or some of us like, I just need me time. And we, uh, we hold on to that. 
Now, as a pastor, I'm going to call this out, oftentimes people will go back to an old lifestyle when they're in a storm because that was what's most comfortable. They'll go back to an old sin. It's like I'm going through a storm, you know what? Let me start drinking again because when I drink and get drunk, man, I feel way better about my storm. Let me go, let me, let me take some drugs or whatever, let me, let me do this. Or some of us will go, I mean, some, of, some people will just go back to the sin of just looking at pornography and saying, man, that usually fulfills me for a moment. So let me, let me go to that because it comforts me in my storm. Some of us, and I know this, we look to things like food. Well, I can't talk about food, Taco Bell, don't. Don't do that in church. Is gluttony still a sin? I can't remember. I know this because personally over the last year, as I've been trying to get healthy, physically healthy, I realized what I used to see food as in my storm. When I would go through a trial, I'd be like, I'm going to eat my feelings away, right? Just give me the ice cream, just something. But I realized over a year ago, that we would literally call food, remember? You know what we call food in that moment? Comfort food. And then I would realize we have a person of the Holy Spirit called the comforter. So when I would indulge in food in my storm as the comforter, what I was doing is I was replacing something for where God's supposed to be. What do you look at? Who do you look at? When the storm comes. Verse 31 says this. And immediately, oh, I love this. Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. And said to him, oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I love this part of the story. Yes, I understand. Peter. He had a really big God moment. And the storm came. Waves crashing. And he gets, uh, and he, he gets to a point where he had so much faith. He's like, God, if, if it's you, I'm going to look at your character. Command me to come out. And he steps out of the boat and like, he's really doing miraculous things. It's awesome. It's exciting. But what happens in that moment is his eyes we're no longer fixated on the promiser, but the environment and the problems. And the waves became bigger than Jesus in his view. The storm became bigger than Christ. And he starts to sink. But here's what the cool thing about our God. It says, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him. Here's a principle that I want somebody to understand today. God's arm is not too short to save, heal, and deliver. God's arm is not too short to save you, to heal you, and deliver you. What I mean by that is you are not too far gone that he can't stretch out his arm. And I'm saying that because I know many people have, ever, have felt like that. I just, 
I'm too much of a mess. I'm too far gone. You don't understand what I've done. But God's arms, not too short to save you, to heal you, or deliver you. The question is, are you willing to be like Peter while you're sinking and cry out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. Are you willing and able to trust in God, the promiser, and his provision? Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, for your word. We thank you, God, for, for how you're moving. Lord, even the baptisms that we experienced earlier today, may it be a representation to us and build our faith that you are worthy to be trusted. Holy Spirit, as we just read a story about how you have done miraculous things, but also stretched out your arm, God, to save us. I pray in these next few moments that if there are some in here that need saving, that they would cry out, Lord, save me. And they would experience your hand pulling them up. Father, do something miraculous in the next few moments. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week was Easter, and uh, Jesus, we celebrate last week, Jesus is alive. Guess what? He's still alive this week, so just in case you didn't know, still alive this week. Last week, there were 142 people, kids, students that surrendered life to Jesus. Yeah. Now, as I was prepping for today... Let me, can I just be honest, like just open? Usually it, when, when church uh, or a pastor comes up the week after Easter, after a big God moment, like big salvations, usually we don't do another salvation call the week after. Usually everybody got saved at Easter, right? But as I was preparing for today, I was reminded of a story in Acts. In Acts with, a, uh, with, with the um, evangelist Philip. See, Philip in Acts was, there was just this big, like in the city, there was just a big revival. Like people were getting saved, baptized, baptized in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit prompts him to go to one, an Ethiopian eunuch who was trying to understand the Scriptures. He was going to one, and he led that one to Christ. And so today, I want to create an opportunity Possibly for a one in this service. That maybe today, this is your time that you decide to surrender your life to Christ. Now, maybe here's the reason why you haven't done it before. As we talk about broken promises and trusting in God, maybe you've, heard, you've been part of church or you've heard about it, but you've never like really trusted fully in God's provision. Maybe you have trust issues. Maybe you have father issues. So to call him father, you're like, ah, oh, I don't know if I can trust that kind of father. Or maybe 
You've been processing what it means. You heard the gospel account last week, but you're like, I'm still thinking about it. I'm still trying to process. Today I want to create an opportunity for even one. Even one. That if today you want to surrender your life to Jesus, we're going to have a moment you can make that decision. And so today, when I count to three and you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand up while everybody's still looking. Now, I know I just said that, and somebody was like, yo, I was going to do it, but can you tell everybody, head bowed, eyes closed? I don't want people to know. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Scripture says that when one sinner comes to repentance, all of heaven rejoice. Right? So this is not to embarrass you. This is not to point you out. This is so that we can rejoice and we will erupt with praise when you stand. For real. We will. And if we don't, they will. Y'all better, uh, y'all better cheer. Okay. But the second thing is, Jesus says, if you deny me before man on earth, I would deny you before my Father in heaven. And I don't want to set you up for that conversation. But the real truth is, if you can't stand in here, ain't no way you're standing out there. And so today, if you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to stand when I count to three. But can I just tell you, Jesus already stood for you. See, God, God saw that sin separated us from him. So he did something absolutely insane. I know if you grow up in church, you don't think this is insane. But this is insane. He sent his one and only son on this earth for us. Insane. And Jesus lived on this earth, lived a holy and perfect life as an example to you and I. But then Jesus saw the separation. He saw that our sin required something. There was a penalty to be paid. And so Jesus literally substituted, which means took our place. And he was beaten, bruised, crucified on the cross for your sins my sins. And he died. And he was put in the grave. But the cool part of this story is that three days later, Jesus became victorious over sin and death so that you can have victory in your eternal life if you would just, if you would just stand for him. If you would just stand for him. So here's what I want to do. If there's just one if there's just one today, it'll be worth it. If you want to surrender your life to Christ right now, when I count to three, you stand up. Don't be shy. Don't be scared. This is a decision you make that lasts for eternity, and we want to celebrate with you. If that's you, will you stand in one, two, three. Stand on up right now. Stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Come on, come on, come on. I 
I see some in the balcony too, small group leaders. I see in the balcony, two in the small group. Hey, if you're standing, stay standing because here's what we want to do. Not to embarrass you, but we're going to be a family. We're going to come around you. There's a lot of y'all. This is, I can't even count them all. This is so awesome. We're going to come around you and we're going to pray for you. We're not trying to be weird. Well, we got hand sanitizer if you really care about that. But we want to pray with you. And then we want to walk you in your next journey. And so if you see people standing, I got like like 10 over here. I don't know. If you see someone standing, I want everybody stand. If there's somebody around them, why don't you start praying right now? Come on, let's start praying right now. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're still in the business of saving lives and eternities, God. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, church, let's pray. Father, we thank you and we worship you, God, for what you're doing, God. Holy Spirit, we ask that you anoint these people making these decisions.